Hey guys, thanks for joining us for part eight of Dangerous Prayers. I absolutely am thrilled to be a part of a church that lives sent. Uh, we exist to connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ. We believe that looks like a life in Christ is loving God, loving others, and living sent. And so sometimes that means getting up and going, and uh, going into all the world internationally, domestically. And this summer, even with the pandemic going on or ending up, we sent people to Nicaragua. We sent people to Florida that was involved with a, a care situation down there with uh, terminally ill patients. We uh, sent people to New Mexico. They're just now getting back. I, I'm very proud to be a part of a church that lives since when it, sent when it comes to missions. You go to rockbridge.cc forward slash missions and you can learn more about that and how even you can be involved with mission trips. But me and my wife, personally, uh, we've been on several mission trips. This is our favorite place in all the world. It's uh, in Uganda. It's called Sharinga. And our little kiddos that we sponsor, uh, Panina and Sharif through Compassion International, that's one of our mission partners. Uh, they're in that crowd of kids somewhere, and we just love it. We just love it. And I find myself when I go on a mission trip that my heart breaks for there. And when I talk to you, you say, oh, yeah, I've got one of those places. It's X, Y, Z. And my heart just breaks for there. But my heart doesn't break as much here as it does there, as a Christ follower. Now, why is that? Why is that? I believe there's several reasons that we could talk about, but the question is, why is it so easy for our hearts to be broken for there and not here, and not here? We've got to understand that our hearts need to be broken for here. And in the life of our church, we're going into an initiative called Serve the City, at the end of this month, uh, next week, it'll start uh, several days. Check your campus. If you're watching online, put in the comment box in your city where you're going to serve the city. And I want us to be inspired. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, no bait and switch here, no bait and switch here. The motive for this message is to get you to sign up to serve your city, for your heart to be broken for here, not just there. It needs to be broken for both places. But to get out of your comfort zone and to sign up to serve. I found that nothing does that more and better than equipping you and encouraging you with God's word and a story from God's word. And so today we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. He's a great man. I cannot wait to get to heaven and talk to this guy. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what he accomplished. I'm just going to give a flyover of it today. Go read it for yourself. It's an amazing, amazing story. So in Nehemiah 1.11, we see, it says at this time, it's at the end of the story that I'm going to talk about today. At this time, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah says that. Now, the reason I want to start with that verse is to say this. Um, all of the valedictorians under uh, watching today, all of the uh, uh, superstars watching the day, there's very few of you. If you got valedictorian of your high school, comment below. If you won American All-Star for your team or uh, your country's soccer team, put that below. There's not many of you. There's not many of you as you watch. And so we're just ordinary people. We're just ordinary people. So Nehemiah, all that you see today, keep reminding yourself that he was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. 
And the Bible's full of ordinary men that accomplished incredible things and women that accomplished incredible stuff for God. And so God's in the business of using ordinary people. And the reason I say that is because we, we qualify. We qualify. So he was the cupbearer. Basically, that's a servant. Uh, he served the king. He was set up in a, in, a, in a job that he would basically taste the, the drink before the king would taste the drink. So then that day they would take people out by putting poison in the cup. I hope his insurance policy was really good and, kept, and caught up. But, I mean, that's what he did. That's, what, that's what, who he was. So he's just an ordinary servant guy, had an ordinary job. There wasn't anything extraordinary about him, but he did extraordinary things for God. Now, let me catch you up in Nehemiah chapter, uh, chapter 1, 1 and 2. And this involves a little history. And so we want to make sure we understand the context. And context is very, very important when we start studying the Bible. So a hundred years from when this was written, over a hundred years, uh, the background is the Babylonian king was Nebuchadnezzar. And so in verse 2, we have someone coming to him and having a conversation and saying, hey, Jerusalem, our hometown, so he's a many miles away from his hometown in Babylon, Jerusalem, God's city, your city, uh, your city that your heritage is from, that your legacy's from, it's in ruins. God's people, there's a, there's a remnant there, and they're trying to rebuild the wall, but they haven't been able to do it over 140 years. And so he asked, Nebuchadnezzar asked, um, Nehemiah asked about the city, and it's destroyed. I mean, all the walls are down, the gates are burned, the city's absolutely in ruins. Uh, when it, this happened the first time, uh, it's in, you might know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter 3. That's when that happened. So there are people sharing with Nehemiah that the walls are torn down. There's no hope. There's no hope. So Nehemiah, like all of the Jews at that time, would dream of returning to God's city and the walls be up. And the walls represent protection. So in the cultural context of the day, it would be like you living in your apartment with no door, with no window. It'd be like you living in, in your house with no doors and no windows. There, were abs there was absolutely no protection. And so in verse 3, we see, they said to me, is that this is what I just told you, what they said in a summary. The remnant in the providence who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jer Jerusalem's walls have been broke down and its gates have been burned. So in this story of Nehemiah, we're going to take some glimpses at a dangerous prayer. In, this, in this, these short verses, we see that Nehemiah teaches us how to pray a dangerous prayer. And then we need to live out that prayer, empowered by Jesus, to serve our city. In other words, sign up to get involved, to serve your local city through various projects that we've got set up for you to sign up for. And so the, when he heard the word, uh, he wept. Uh, he wept. It was over a hundred years ago that it was torn down, but he still was crying. It, it says in this in this verse four, the context. He he cried and wept and mourned for a hundred days, a hundred days. He fasted and he prayed, 
And basically, fasting is giving up something comfortable to focus on God and pray about something. So in your communities, if there's walls torn down, say with senior citizens, say with poverty, say with under-resourced people, with education, it should, it should move you. And you should weep and get that, that news of that. But it, it seems like it's been like that forever. Nehemiah felt the same thing that we're feeling. And understand, he is, he is an ordinary guy just like us. So he is living the good life, quote unquote, in the king's palace. He's got a good job. And so basically, he has more than he needs and he wants to help those in need. And I'm speaking to a crowd of people, the majority, majority, majority of you have more than you need. And there's people that have a need, so go out there and help them through these various projects that we have set up. And one of the greatest ways that you can help is to pray. You can pray. What burdens you to pray for the people where you live? What is it? Where are the walls torn down just like Nehemiah? Just like Nehemiah. So let's, let's have some glimpses into this. Number one, he was burdened to pray. He was burdened to pray. And so pray, pray, pray first. Pray first. Uh, in the beginning of June, I was going to local businesses. And you guys that start local businesses... Small businesses, you have so much courage. And so I want to applaud you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone and starting a local business. And man, it's, you're your own boss, you're the employees. And then I was discovering that they couldn't find anybody to work for them in the South, in America. They could not find anybody to work for them. And so as I discovered that, I just thought, I want to do something. And so I did a social media post, and I basically said, hey, I've got some hours in my week. I've got a Tuesday night. I've got an early Monday morning. I'm talking about before 9. And I've got two Saturdays in July. If you need me to come volunteer for your business, I want to cheer you on. I want to volunteer for your business. And I've been doing that for three businesses, three small businesses in the month of June. I'm two weeks into that volunteering effort, and I'm just learning so much. I am absolutely learning a, a bunch and it's teaching me how to pray. It's teaching me how to really get involved with the community and how to pray for the community's needs and the needs that people are going through. And so my heart is burdened for the community. And that's a glimpse into Nehemiah's prayer. He was burdened to pray because he heard the news about his community. So in Nehemiah, we get glimpses of the dangerous prayer. That we need to live out empowered by Jesus to serve our city. Glimpse number two. Um, so in, in, in Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And so that's what Nehemiah did. And we have more than we need so we can help those in need. And glimpse number two, he was broken in prayer. So not only did he pray and had a burden of prayer, to pray, but he was broken in his prayer. And so we now start in, into what he actually was praying. And so we get a glimpse into that. And we see that he said, I said, Lord, the God of heavens, God's nature is the foundation of prayer. And the great and awe-inspiring God who kept his uh, generous covenant with those who love him and kept his 
uh, commands. And so in Nehemiah 1.5, we, we see him calling God the God of heavens. That means there's no one greater than God. There's mean there's no one more powerful than God. And when he says the God in heavens, he's basically saying that you're great, that you're all-inspiring, that you're all-powerful. You're a covenant keeper, God. You're gracious in your covenant. You keep your covenant. You're a promise keeper. And so God, God just was, when Nehemiah goes to pray, we can learn from Nehemiah that God's nature is the foundation of prayer. It's the foundation of prayer. And so in, in glimpse number two, we're breaking down what this prayer looked like and we're dissecting it and taking the parts out and we're going to look at those. And so his nature is the foundation of the dangerous prayer that Nehemiah prayed. You know, those kids in Africa that I just showed you the picture of, uh, we, when we would go to Africa, they would do a service on a dirt floor and they would beat drums and just incredible, incredible music, incredible worship. It's just great there, but it needs to be here too. And so they would say, they would say to the, the leader would say, God is great. And the kids would go and the adults would go all the time and all the time. God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And the kids especially would go, that is his nature. Wow. That is his nature. Wow. And so that is his nature. And so when you pray, pray with the foundation of prayer that that is God's nature. He is great. He is all expiring. He's a covenant keeping God. He's a promise keeping God. And then part number two, as we dissect this prayer, as he prays in, in these verses, is agree with God about corporate and personal sin. So go to God and praise him. Go to God and see who God is. And spend some time aligning your heart with his, a heart aligned to Jesus and align it with who God is. And you're going to pray. And then so he, he is praying to God. And so agree with God about corporate and personal sin. So in verses 6 through 7, it says, Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servant, the Israelites, I confess the sins we have committed. So that's corporate prayer. He is saying, hey, listen, we have committed sin. We have not aligned with you. We have not agreed with you what's wrong in our lives. And we have done that over 100 years ago. And so when you pray, you probably have never prayed that dangerous to where you're saying, okay, I confess not only my sins, but I confess my corporate sins, the sins of this church, the sins of your people. God, it, the community wouldn't be in the shape the community's in if we would confess and be righteous and be clean. And so God, the church, I confess any sin that we have committed. And he says, both I and my father's family have sinned. So it's personal. It's personal. So he confesses his family's sin. He confesses his sin. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you give your servants. So you might say, well, God's not fair. God's just like, he's just a mean God saying, you know, you're a sinner. But see, he gives us statutes. He gives us commands. It's, it's not like he just makes it, moves the bullseye on us. They're there. And they're there in his word. And so he is saying, hey, I have committed sin. And so safe prayer passes the buck, blames and accuses. 
And he very well could have, could have started his prayer and said, hey, and it's not my fault. He wasn't even born when the walls were torn down. So he could have very easily passed the buck and said, hey, it's not, it's not my fault. It's their fault. No, he says, as your, as your people, God, I have sinned and my family sinned. We have sinned. God, forgive me of that sin. And so dangerous prayer accepts the blame. Accepts the blame. So agree with God that you've been a part of the problem. And you now want to be a part of the solution. So as we unpack this prayer, the parts of this prayer, God's nature is foundation, is the foundation of prayer. Agree with God about corporate and personal sin. And then uh, you need to understand that you need to confess that. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. God is there ready to forgive. So quit wasting time excusing and accusing different things. Disown it. Disown this. We live in a broken world, and we're a part of that broken world. And we cause the world to be broken. And just own it and ask forgiveness, and God will reach out with mercy, and he'll, he'll forgive you, and it's great to walk in forgiveness. So before he starts to do something about the wall, because he's broken about it, he prays. He prays for 100 days. He weeps for 100 days. He spends time praying to God. And so the third part of this prayer is that he reminds God of his promises. So this is a great one. This is where it becomes dangerous. It's something that kind of shocked me. He says, remind God of his promises is the point, but please remember what you have commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. And so it goes on to fulfill the promise, but if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon. I will, this is God, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I can uh, choose to have my name dwell. So God is saying, Nehemiah is praying to God and he's reminding God of his promises. Something he read in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, and he had this memorized. So as he's praying to God, he's memorizing scripture. He's memorizing the promises that he has in scripture. And you might say, well, do I need to remind God of his promises? Does God need to be reminded? No, that's silly when you think about, does God need to be reminded? But God loves to be reminded. He loves for us to come back and say, we love you enough and know you enough and align with your word enough that we have got a promise to you that you have said in your word, in your word. The 66 books of the Bible, we've got a word from you that you have already said, and God, you promised and you promised us. And so God loves that. Nehemiah's not the only one to do it. David did it. Moses did it. All the prophets did it. Anybody that's a prayer warrior that prays dangerous prayers, you can talk to them about it. And they've did it. Uh, my dad, uh, Francis Honeycutt, we called him Fred because we didn't like the, his name Francis. We thought that was a girl's name. So we called him Fred. Uh, was careful about making promises to me as a kid. And he fulfilled most of those promises, but he wasn't perfect. But God will fulfill every single promise that you have. Every single promise that you hold on to, God will fulfill that promise. And so with Serve the City projects, I would encourage you to go to God's word, whatever project you're serving in, claim a promise. 
So if you're serving and you're saying, man, this is hard. I'm going to grow weary in this. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This is a promise from God's word. So then ask God for success and favor. So the fourth part of this prayer that Nehemiah prays is ask God for his success and favor. So Nehemiah writes, they are your servants and your people. You redeem them by your great power and in your strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer of your servant and to, the, to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. So he's got to go before the king and ask permission to go back and build the walls. And so he says to God, God, I pray for success and I pray for favor. I pray for success and I pray for favor. In other words, God, make me successful. God, give me favor. And when you first read that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not real comfortable asking God to make me a success. What's the alternative? God make me a failure? No. When you're aligned with God and your heart's broken like Nehemiah's is broken and you've got a burden to pray, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, make me a success. There's nothing wrong with us praying for serve the city. God, help it be successful for your name, for your glory. God, give us favor in our community. So if you can't ask God for success in what you're doing, then I better start doing something else. So if you're hesitant, say, God, make me successful in what I'm doing, maybe you're doing the wrong things. So if we're glorifying God, and we're bringing his name and lifting that name of heaven, God of heaven's name, up above everything else, then there's no reason not to pray for favor. So glimpse number three, his prayer led to movement. His prayer led to movement. So we move out of the prayer now, and we come into a glimpse in chapter two of this story. And his prayer that he prayed led to movement, not just static, not just sitting still, but people moved. So he was moved physically. So we read in Nehemiah 2.2, and the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. He prayed and fasted so much and was burdened so much for his city that was torn down that his, it, it affected the countenance on his face. This is dangerous prayer. Not comfortable. He prayed and fasted so much that it was a visceral, visceral prayer, guttural prayer, that it changed the countenance on his face. See, I think Nehemiah the cupbearer was in front of the king, and because he's a Christ follower, because he's Christ-like, he's joyful. I mean, he's smiling. He's coming in there whistling. I mean, whatever, whatever he had to do. And as a Christ follower, um, I mean, you should be the happiest person in the world. I mean, you're a child of the king. God redeemed you through Jesus Christ. And you've accepted him as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins. And he changed you and rearranged you. And man, my best days are ahead of me. And I should smile as a Christian. And some of you need to tell your face that every morning. 
You need to say, hey, listen, I should be happy because of what Jesus did for me. And so when you're burdened, though, it can, it can come across like, hey, this guy's acting different. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Nehemiah? What's going on? And you can get desensitized and not pray, or you can re-energize your prayers. So Nehemiah heard about this news, and he did not get desensitized. He energized that need through prayer, and it moved him physically. And here's what I'm afraid of. There's needs all around us. You know what the solution is? Jesus. You know what Jesus uses to get his name out and to change people and change lives? His church. But I'm afraid we have got desensitized to that. As a church body, we can't hear news about kids being orphans. We can't hear news about kids not being able to afford school supplies. And it desensitizes us. Or we accuse somebody. Or we excuse ourselves not to do something about it. See, here at Rockbridge, Rockbridge we have a value and it's that we're bent towards action. That we break the huddle. That we do something about these needs. It's because we're not desensitized to it. So don't just hear it and think it's somebody else's problem. It's our problem as a church. And it should move us physically that people should be able to look at us and go, hey, there's, I know you got joy, but something's wrong with you. What's going on? What's happening? Man, these single moms in our community, they don't seem to get any help. There's kids that are going hungry, literally not having meals on the weekends. We need to do something about it. So that's what Nehemiah, he was moved Physically, Robert McMurray McShane, this is an old Protestant preacher. He says, oh, believe, oh, believing brother, what an instrument in which God hath put in our hands. Prayer moves him that moves the universe. So prayer is an instrument that we can pray and it will move the hand of God that moves the universe. And so it should move us physically to pray and fast about burdens in our area and burdens around us. And also, there was, there was a, a move organizationally, not only physically, but a move organizationally. Look at this verse. And I told them in verse 218, and I told them, these are, these are, these are the, his, his brothers and sisters, the children of Israel. I shared with them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me. So he went and talked to the king, and the king said, yes, I'll let you go do that. Lost a great employee, lost somebody that meant a lot to him. And he says, not only am I going to let you go, but I'm going to let you take your brothers and sisters, and I'm going to let you go. And, and what the king had said to me, they said let's start rebuilding and their hands were strengthened to do this good work to do this good work and so they left and in 52 days Nehemiah organized them Nehemiah got resources to build this wall that had not been built for over a hundred years that been attempts to build it but it had not been built and he built the wall the wall was completed in 52 days. It's a miracle. So Nehemiah worked longer in prayer than he did in completing the job. He prayed for 100 days, and it took 52 days to complete the wall. And we've been asking and communicating and saying, hey, for five weeks, 
we want you to sign up for Serve the City. We want you watching online, whatever city you live in, to serve. We've been saying it for five weeks. We've been praying for five weeks. We've been fasting for five weeks. So you would get involved, an ordinary person just like Nehemiah, not a pastor, priest, or prophet, would get involved serving your city. Serving your city. And that's what we want to ask you to do. That's what we want to ask you to do. So he was burdened to pray. And he prayed. He was broken in prayer. God, he went under the God of heavens and he was broken in prayer. And his prayer led to movement. He did something. So before you sign up, have a burden. Don't be desensitized. Be broken. And then move. So we would love for you to go to that website, rockbridge.cc forward slash serve the city and sign up. If, you, if you're in a different community or country or town, just go in your city, find a need and serve. But I'd like to close this message with just leading you through this prayer, leading you through this glimpse of dangerous prayer and allow you to spend time with God and for you to pray. So let's pray together. God, empowered by Jesus, we need to be burdened, broken. God, allow prayer to move us. God, in these, this prayer in verses 5 through 10, Lord, help us to be moved to sign up for Serve the City. And I want everybody to think of one thing you're burdened about. That's a project. That you, that you can go to that website and you can find many projects. And in your heart, base your request on who God is. Before you give the request to God, before you pray to God, God, I know you can answer this request because you are powerful, because you are, God, awesome. And tell him how great he is. You're a great God. You're a merciful God. God, listen to my prayer. You're faithful. You keep your promises on the basis of your request. Pray to God. Pray based on his nature, not on yours. Number two, God, I confess sin in my life. I would agree with you about sin. God, reveal to me where I've sinned against you. God, where I don't align with you, where I've ignored you. God, forgive me of my sins and name them. Confess them. Is there an attitude or action that I need to change? God, cleanse our lives. Cleanse my life. You ask God to do that. And then number three, remind God of his promises. If you can't think of one right now, claim that Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. My God of his promises. Then number four, pray that God would give you success and favor. Lay your request out to God. 
Ask God to give you success on the project that you're going to be working on. If you're not sure what God wants you to do, get something you're sure God wants you to do. If you can't ask God to bless what you're doing, better start doing something else. God, bless, give favor, give success to these projects. And then a prayer commitment. God, I'm willing to be a part of the answer. I'm willing to be used by you in any way for your answer, Jesus. God, help our community. Just pray through those parts of that prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Go in your Bible and underline those and, and continue to pray those this week until we'll serve the city. Thank you, Father, for these glimpses in the dangerous prayer in the life of Nehemiah. May all of us develop our prayer life and grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.